you take out your Bible, I got a new Bible this week because I gave mine away. I'm still trying to find everything. You, know, you get used to your Bible and you can just kind of open. And then I got it. It doesn't have Jesus' words in red. But it gave me a red ribbon. That didn't help. Take the red ribbon ink and put Jesus' words in red. So I have a red pen and I'm underlining Jesus' words in red. And maybe that was the Lord's plan. That I underline it. Well, open your Bibles to two places, if you would. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And then John 6, and I'll start at verse 41. Colossians 1, 27. John chapter 6, verse 41. I want to start for the next few weeks, um, really a series called Christ in You. Been reading that a lot as we've been doing our readings. Christ in You. That is the purpose of Jesus coming. It's Christ in You. But it wasn't just to save you and make you cleaned up. It was, he was to be in you and to be active but today, my title is called The Hard Sayings. The Hard Sayings. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Let me read this first, and it says this. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mysteries among the Gentiles. What did God make known? What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everybody say Christ in you. Christ in you. Tell your neighbor, it's the hope of glory. So the mystery which is Christ in you. Right? Being uh, mindful on the inside that Jesus Christ is in you and he's active and he's moving and he's working on your behalf. Christ in you. And then John chapter 6, oh, let me read uh, these sections of scripture. Two weeks ago, we looked at the miracle um, in John 6 of Jesus feeding the multitudes, not only men, women, and children. And I mentioned that this miracle is the only miracle of Jesus that's mentioned in all four Gospels. So the Holy Spirit wanted us to read about that. It's mentioned all four times. But do you know what miracle Jesus was asked to do first? That's a, you would think, water. no, Satan asked him to turn stones to bread. Interesting, the first one that he's asked to do in John 6, he's going to reveal himself as the bread of life. The exact thing that he didn't do, stone to bread is the exact thing that he's going to tell the disciples in the crowd that he is the bread of life. So John chapter 6, and I want to pick this up in verse 41. This is after the miracle. In fact, let me, uh, let me mention this real quick. In John 6, 2, the crowds followed him, the Bible says, because of the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Later in verse 15, when he departs by himself alone and the crowds come back, they're following him because he fed them and they want to eat again. In fact, Jesus refers to that. So he begins to teach them, begins to talk to them about being the bread of life. But in verse 41 is where we pick up the story. Then the Jews complained about him because he says, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then 
that he says, I have come down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, anyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world." In fact, we'll come back in a minute and pick it up in verse 52 where Jesus shocks people with hard sayings. You know, Jesus had a hard saying. One of these guys wanted to follow him, but he said, I need to go first and bury my father. What did Jesus say? Well, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. That's not very nice to say to somebody. Wait, we think of sweet, loving, compassionate Jesus Jesus that didn't shoo the children off, that wanted them on his lap, wanted to bless them. But he tells this guy, no, 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 let the dead bury the dead. He's about to tell them another hard uh, situation in the scriptures. He's about to tell them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Is that a little radical in the day? So Jesus says these hard things to wake us up, to shake us up, to alert us. Because he always has the best in mind for us. You know, about a year and a half ago, we did a memorial service here at church. There was a lady that used to attend here years and years ago. And I, and I forget all the, the combinations, uh, uh, but we ended up hosting it here. I ended up speaking. And as I was speaking, a gentleman walked through the doors and sat down. And immediately I remembered who it was. It was one of my teachers in high school. And he taught me when I went to Maranatha High School, which used to be on the other side of In-N-Out. Uh, and we started talking after service. And as we began to talk after service, I remembered he was my freshman basketball coach. And then I remembered that he cut me from the basketball team. And I could start to feel the hairs on the back of my neck get up and my muscles get tightened. And, and you know, I've shared this before. The, I went out for freshman basketball and it was, you know, you either made it or you got cut. Sometimes they don't do that nowadays. And they stuck the paper on the window where you would go in and order your snacks or lunch. And they had both teams, varsity and JV. Varsity, nobody was cut. But on the JV, they had everybody's name. They had a line. And then the cuts, and they had just my name. And this was a place that every student at the school would go through and see my name. So we talked a little bit about that. Um... I was still a little bit incensed, had to ask the Lord to forgive me. So last summer, we were working on the sports court. Ernie Gomez, Kevin, Ben, and my coach pulls up. He pulls up. Shouldn't even call him my coach because he was never my coach. He cut me. <laughs> 
So we started talking, talking about a few things, and, and I introduced him to the guy that cut me as a freshman. And then I told him, I said, you know, that paper stayed on that window for a couple days. And so one day I just went by when nobody was looking, I took the thing down because I, you know, I was getting embarrassed. And so then he proceeds to tell them how bad I was. Truth, right? How bad I was, how slow I was. He, he never would want to put me in a game because even if they were way ahead, I might do something. I kept thinking, you got to be thinking about somebody else, you know, not me. So he's going on and going on. And I can feel I'm getting a little bit like, when are you going to leave? When am I never going to ever see you, you know, again? Uh, you know, that was hard to see for a couple days until I took it down. Yeah, then they come after you when you're 6'2 and you're, you know, a junior in high school. Then they want you to play. Well, yeah, forget you. You cut me, right? <laughs> well, we've all been there, haven't we, on something or one another? And we can't let those... Uh, can't let those things control our lives. So, but Jesus is going to say some hard things. But he's saying them to have us grow up. He's saying them to shake us, to awaken us, and to follow the things that he says. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 is setting the stage because Jesus is going to declare to everybody around that he's the bread of life. In fact, I like what um, verse 26 and 27 of John 6 says, and it says this, Jesus answered to them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Let's do that again. Don't labor for the food that perishes. Here's what we labor for. For the food that has everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he, he who believes in me shall never thirst. He came to fill that void or emptiness with himself. The people were searching for him, but when they saw the signs, when they were able to taste of the food, they wanted those things. Jesus wanted them to want him. Here's what he wants today. He wants us to want him. He wants us to want his words. When Jesus tells the people, and we'll see in a minute, that he's the bread of life, he wasn't saying that I'm going to now fill your stomachs every day. He was teaching them a greater truth that whatever emotional, spiritual, physical need they might have, he's the only one that can truly satisfy it. Whatever need it might be, he's the only one that can truly satisfy it. And Jesus came into the world not to change our desires. He came so that he would be your main desire, the main thing, the main part of our focus. So they were following him for material things, but he wanted them to follow him for supernatural or spiritual things. You know, usually when somebody says, let's eat, people don't wait, do they? No, they jump on in. They dive on in. And that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, they don't even say no thanks. People jump on in. 
Jesus is, is putting out that buffet for us with his words, and he's saying, come and eat, and you're not going to say, ah, no thanks. No, you want to eat. And that's his promise, is that you won't be hungry, and you won't thirst. You know, even when they're seeing the miracles, they don't put their faith in him. Even when they're seeing it with their very eyes. And that's what Jesus wants to change. He wants their faith to be in him. Because they were following him, what they thought, for the right things, but they missed the main thing. He was supposed to be their desire. You know, if you believe, truly believe in a person of authority, you'll do what they ask you to do. So let's say you have a teenager that wants to play basketball. And you go out and you get him a coach. And you find out that this coach or trainer used to play in the NBA. And this ex-NBA player tells you, okay, instead of shooting right-handed, I want you to learn to shoot left-handed, and we're going to completely change the way that you shoot the ball. And will you do what they tell you to do? Absolutely. Why? Because they used to be in the NBA. <laughs> right? It's uncomfortable to shoot. Well, they know something. They know something about what they're talking about. They've been there, and so what you and I do is we trust their opinion. That's what Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority. But we've got to open our hearts to listen to the hard things that he would say. You know, we don't like to hear the hard things, do we? We like to hear the easy, the happy, the laughing things. So when Jesus says some hard things to some people in a few minutes, their reaction is going to be to completely leave him to not do exactly what he says to do because it's hard. You know, Moses fed millions of people through God for 40 years. Think about that. Millions of people ate every day because God provided for 40 years. Jesus feeds these people one time, these 5,000, this story, this one time, but he's the supreme authority. He's the one to follow. In fact, Jesus is going to say, yeah, all of those people that lived 40 years and ate every day, you know where they are today? They're dead. <laughs> That's sad to say about somebody's great-grandparent, isn't it? Oh, I don't listen to them because they're dead. That's rude. Yeah, they ate. Where are they today? They're dead. I have life. That's what he's saying. I have life. If you follow what I say. So verse 53 of uh, John chapter 6 is where I want to pick this back up. And Jesus says to them, in fact, he's going to go further than saying I'm the bread of life. He's going to say these words. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You guys have the Bible that says that, right? All right, so this isn't like some crazy, I'm not reading out of, all right, everybody reading that? Jesus says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me. And I live because of my Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, everyone was excited when they heard this. No, here's what it says. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Let me read that again. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said to them, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And, that, and from that time many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Let me read that verse again. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Now, remember, in kosher settings, anything that has to do with blood is a no-no. So even Jesus, talking about drinking his blood, talking about eating his flesh, would just overwhelm somebody of Jewish, plus us. You know, um, back in 1956, we had an opportunity to hear the story firsthand of Mason and Virgin Hughes, who went and they started a four-square work in Papua New Guinea among cannibalists. Not cannibals, cannibalists. Cannibals, got to make that straight today. In fact, they used to say as they were witnessing village to village, the people would just look at them. And they said, we don't know if they're looking at us because they like what we have to say about Jesus or they're looking at us because we're their next meal. Okay, this is 1956. Now, we hear today, you know, we hear stories about that today and that shocks us. But Jesus isn't telling them to literally eat his flesh or literally drink his blood. What Jesus is wanting to talk to them about is it's spiritual. You're missing it because it's spiritual. I'm the bread from heaven. Just like my father sent manna down every day, I am the bread of heaven. That was a type of what was to come. And I'm right before you. But you've got to eat it. You've got to drink it. You've got to partake it. It's spiritual. He's also letting them know prophetically that he's about to pour out his life. That his very flesh and his very blood would spill because of them so that he could become their sacrifice of sacrifice. And he's wanting this to give them strength and remembrance when they partake of communion 
because communion is about breaking the bread and drinking the cup to remember what Jesus did. But the way that he said it shocked them. You know, nowadays we watch, and we've seen them over the last several years, we see cult leaders arise. We see things that they do where their followers commit suicide, drink certain things, take their lives, and this goes on and goes on and goes on, and we think it would stop, but somebody else rises up. In fact, back in the book of Acts, there's two that try to rise up, but it was false, and it came to nothing. Jesus is reminding them what he's telling them is eternal, that his words are eternal, or he's letting them know the true life is only found in me. And I thought about this, what will you leave for your kids? What are you going to leave them? Car with 150,000 miles on it? Yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> right? Transmission was about to go out. Really appreciate that. Thinking of me. What are you going to leave them? A shirt? You know, we think that way, don't we? We think of leaving them uh, something. You know, and I'm shocked, and I hear story upon story upon story, even from Christians when. A loved one passes away, part of the family's already showing up at the house, and they're taking things out of the house, and they're loading it in their cars because they want to have some certain vase or something. And it's sick, it's evil that they would do that. What are you going to leave? The only thing of value is a spiritual life. There's nothing that you can leave them. You can leave them money and they'll spend it all. But you've got to leave them Jesus. You've got to give them the words of life. In fact, that's what Jesus is saying. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years, and where are they? What did it do for them? They're dead. But if you eat of what I'm telling you, you'll have eternal life. What a great word for us to hear today. The spirit life is the way to go. Not in a spirit world, but the spirit found through God's word. His truth speaking to us. What we read earlier in Colossians, this spirit life, Christ in you. That's what we want to deposit in ourselves. That's what we want to deposit as we go. And so as Jesus is speaking these things, you think he'd get an applaud, applause in the synagogue. And it says some of the disciples turned away. Now remember, he's got the 12, but he also has the 72. And he also has some other ones that are calling themselves disciples. But when they hear what he says, they turn and leave. They didn't understand it. They didn't press in. They didn't listen. They didn't get in and ask the questions. It was too hard to hear. He's wanting me to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Who is this guy? We know his father, Joseph. Who does he think he is? We knew where he grew up. You know where he grew up? Yeah, you know where he grew up. Nobody ever comes out of that town. Nobody ever rises up out of there. Who does he think he is? He's, all, he's been in the sun too long. That's what they're thinking. And from that day, those disciples walked away. You know, let me tell you, a pastor, and, and I, I, actually I shouldn't say, a pastor never wants anybody to leave their church. You're not like, oh, you're, oh great, I'm so glad you're leaving. We're really going to miss you. You know, when are you leaving? Today? Are you going to leave today right after? Oh, great, we have a bag for you. It's thanking you for leaving, right? 
thank you so much for going. No, you don't want, and you connect with people, right? You don't want people to leave. It's hard when people leave. It's hard when people leave for good reason. They're telling you they're moving. That's hard. It's hard when they tell you, you know, I really don't like you. And I'm just going to leave, go somewhere else. You know, that's, that's hard. So I'm sure for Jesus, the ones that have been following him, he was, he was very active getting to know people. He was a people person. And now people leave because of what he says. Now he looks at his 12. And instead of saying, all right, guys, we need to have a little powwow. We need to have a meeting this afternoon. And you know, let, me, let me talk a little bit what I was talking about. Because evidently this other group didn't get it. And you guys have been on the inside a little bit, so you should get it. You know what he says to them? Do you want to leave too? You want to leave too? Hey, come on, go, go, go. I don't need you. Right? Don't need you around. Oh, that's strong, isn't it? But here's what Peter says. Where are we going to go? Right? Where are we going to go? But why did he say that? Did he say, I already sold my fishing boat. <laughs> right? I can't go home and tell my wife that I'm leaving and I sold my fishing boat. Her mother-in-law that you healed with fever would, you know, hit me over the head with something. What am I going to do? Right? Luke is like, I sold my practice. I can't go back and be a doctor. I sold my practice. Matthew is, you know, I, I've given away my tax firm. I can't, there's nothing. No. Why did they say that? Because you have the words of life. I'm not going to go back because you have the words of life. You're, what you're saying to me right now, I might not understand. In fact, you sound a little creepy, Jesus, right? Just to let you know, it's a little creepy what you said. Maybe you need to sit down next time when you do a message and have some of us kind of help you a little long. You, you remember kosher, or you, know, you have to take all the blood and remove the vein. You can't say those things, a little creepy. No, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? You're the Christ. Peter's heart, I think, speaks for all of the other disciples there because when they left to follow him, they left everything to follow him. Even the things that he said that they don't quite understand. You know, there's things they read in the Bible, and you read these things, and you just don't quite understand, but you read them on because they're spiritual things. And you ask the Lord, you ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you about them, to show you about it, to give you insight in it, because you don't understand. And when it comes to the hard things, you ask him to give you strength. You ask him to give you joy. We know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to get you through. I'm not going to leave you. You know, uh, when we sat last week with Bill Weiss after, and I, I asked him, because he said something in the service, he says, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. The Bible also talks more about hell than heaven. So I'm back, and just to, to verify, you know, heaven, we do read a few things, but it's absolutely right. And Jesus was warning the people there about their eternal life. Because too many times we're the same way. We live for the day, we live for the week, we live for the month, we live for the next year, and we forget about that our spiritual life, what we're building up, is eternal. That's the hope that we have. What we're depositing is not empty words. What we're depositing is not just to make us feel good to go about our week. We're depositing, like Peter said, we're depositing the words of life. And so when Jesus says this, it's not a physical act to do. He's speaking spiritually. 
I'm going to lay this life down for you so that you can take your life back up, so that you can be delivered, transformed, changed, and have me in you. It might be hard to hear now, and you might not understand, but follow me. And I love that's what Peter says. Peter says, you have the words of life, the words that are eternal. So let me ask you a couple questions today before we close. In fact, uh, I wanted to make this, and I wrote it in here also for me, that Jesus is the center of my life, but he's also the source of my life. Would you make that personal today? That Jesus is not just the center of your life, but he's the source. He's what allows you to do what you do, because he's your source. Physical benefits attract temporary followers. You know, my pastor in Amani, he would get on us from time to time. He didn't think our youth numbers were as high as they were. And so he said, you guys need to do something. You need to get the youth numbers up. What are you going to do? Free pizza? All right, do free pizza. Have pizza night. Man, you do free pizza night and all these kids show up. Pastor, we had 200 kids. Great! Next week, you're down to 50 kids. Right? Hey, you need to have pizza nights all the time. Well, you can do things, right? You can do things to get people there, but it becomes temporary. What you want to do is you want to do things that people follow after Jesus themselves, because that's eternal. Temporary things are temporary. Eternal things are eternal. We're not looking to attract temporary followers. When's that pool party at Ernie's house? Right? It's on Saturday. Go Saturday at noon. You know. No, the spiritual gives them life. And I love and I want Peter's words to be our anthem. Where am I going to go? Why would I walk away? Because your words have eternal life in them. Your words are my source. Your words are my hope. Your words are everything to me. Even in the midst of how things may look, your words are life. Bow your heads if you would today. Let's pray those three things over our life. Father, we come today and we say, Jesus, you're not only the center of my life, Jesus, you're the source of my life. Jesus tells the woman at the well that that living water would become in her a fountain springing up. Father, I pray today that your words that are deposited in our spirit, that they become that promise of a fountain rising up on the inside. It's the source of our life. It becomes evident in the joy around that we look at things different because of what you say. Father, that when we come to you that we're like Peter, we say, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Your words are eternal. And Father, we thank you that your word is yes and amen over our life that this Bible was not just printed 
for us to read historical words. These are words of life. This is you speaking to us. And Lord, we thank you today that when we read these things, we remember in Colossians that it's Christ in us that's at work. Christ in us that's at work. He's the center. He's the source. He's who we listen to. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher teaching us, showing us, opening our eyes and our understanding to receive from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand with me.